You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 65 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. My guest today is cultural change agent Gregory Sams. Gregory is a fractal artist, social thinker, author, publisher, inventor and creator of the Veggie Burger. We are mainly going to talk about his book Son of God, which looks at our universe in the light of a conscious sun. So thanks for being on the podcast. Okay, my pleasure. So tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do. I... uh call myself a, a change agent. I like, I like doing different things that are going to change the culture. And when I was very young, my dad, he gave me lots of good advice. One bit of it was uh, keep off the beaten track. You know, don't do what loads of other people are doing, which always seemed like obvious fun advice or the right way to do things. But obviously most people don't get that advice because they follow the beaten track. So... When I discovered about the importance of natural and organic foods back in 1966, as a uh, you know, I was 18 years old, or actually I was younger than that, 16 or 17 when I discovered it, it, it immediately made sense. I, that's a, well, I was interested in it, and then when I started eating the foods and I felt better, I mean, mentally and physically, I said, "Hey, this is the way to go." So I ended up spending years in, in that side of the market. Then I realized that uh, there was nothing out there that was really any good for vegetarians. Uh, there was no meat alternatives. And that prompted me to make the first ever veggie burger, which I gave the name to. People thought I was crazy or brave coming out with a product that there was no market for. And I did it as a single product company. But I thought, hey, I think there's a market for this. And there was. It word went into the language. It did really well. And that was my ticket out of the food industry. And I had some wacky, wonderful ideas of things I wanted to do, pet projects over the next t- two years. Um, and then I uh, discovered chaos theory and said, hey, we got to open a shop about chaos theory. Tell the world about how stuff self-organizes. Um, and I sold lots of fractal goods from jigsaw puzzles to posters and T-shirts. And we sold books about chaos theory, toys that manifested chaotic behavior. But it was really the message I wanted to get across about self-organizing and seeing how we do it as human beings. But recognizing science would never look at that because that's sociology, a dirty word to science. So that led me to write my first book, which was originally titled Uncommon Sense, The State is Out of Date. It's now retitled just The State is Out of Date, We Can Do It Better. And that was a phenomenal thing to me, for me to do, to write a book and not have to have staff and offices and regulations, like you know, you've got to have X hundred words per page and so many words per chapter, none of that. I was so used to that with food, it was like liberation for me to write a book about human liberation, about how we could live without this top-down state. It's just something that's been ingrained into us that you've got to have a king or a ruler, and you don't. That's the secret. Um, that kept me going for five or six years of writing and marketing and selling and talking about it. And then I... <clears throat> wrote my next book, which we're going to talk mainly about today, which is breaking the strongest, oldest taboo of the church Um, and breaking a taboo that scientists still adhere to, even though they've uh, kicked evolution and creationism. They've had that battle with the church, but they still believe that our sun, that which brings us the light of of life, is an inanimate, dumb ball of gas, which is kind of what the church taught us. You know, don't worship the sun. We'll burn you if you do that. That's the worst taboo you can break. 
um, worship our God. And he created the sun to keep the earth warm. And he created, you know, cows so you could eat them and stars so you could tell what time of year it was, which is, you know, crazy viewpoint. So that book titled Son of God, S-U-N of God, that's um, breaks that taboo and the consequences of doing so and the implications are fantastic when you look at the world in the light of that understanding. So I'll stop there. That's where I am now. Cool. Let me just backtrack for one second. Uh, you mentioned uh, organic food. How long, when you discovered it, I mean, it was, it's, it's fairly new. I mean, it does, it's, it hasn't existed for that long. Um, but Before you, before everything was organic food. So when did it stop being organic, and when did we rediscover it organic? Chemicals have been used since the late, your mid forties, really, nineteen forties. The concept of it goes back a bit further, um, but what I really got into, I say, organic and natural foods. What we, what my brother and I, Craig, really did was get across the concept that what you eat affects your health. That was what was not known then. Other than sugar causes tooth decay, there was no perception of white bread and white pasta causing constipation or of excessive coffee drinking keeping you up at night or of you know processed meats contributing to cancer and heart disease. None of that was out there. So that was the big push. And then ancillary to that, we're saying organic foods, natural unprocessed foods, those are really the conduit to good health. Because even when all food was organic, if people were eating nothing but bread, cheese, and beer, their longevity, health, and happiness wasn't all that it could be. So let's get back to your, your, your book. The main idea of that book is that the son is conscious, right? Well, that was what started the book, that idea. Having had a you know, life-changing experience when I was 17 years old in Berkeley, California, staring into the sun for about 20 minutes on top of a hill doing my first uh, psychedelic experience, And in that, in that experience, there was an exchange, and I, re I realized, hey, this isn't just a ball of hot stuff. It's plasma, not gas. But I really know there's, there's a being there. There's something there. And that was something I carried with me all my life, but I never did anything with it until I started to write a book and say, hey, I'm going to write a book about this. I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but I'll start. And that's uh, one way to find out what you're going to say. And what amazed me when I was that when I looked into the science and started to see what solar scientists and cosmologists knew about sun and its product light, what amazed me was that I found that all this evidence which supports the idea. So if you're looking at this neutrally and you have this information about the sun and stars and how they behave and what they do, and without any Christian prejudice drummed into you, you think, okay, now, is this the sort of behavior that a rock or something accidental you know, would be doing? Or is this the sort of behavior that implies consciousness and intelligence? And it falls down heavily on the side of consciousness and intelligence. Uh, without that, it's very hard to figure out how stars, how our sun behaves. So that was, um, <clears throat> there was a lot of discovery involved in writing the book. It wasn't just, uh, there was one chapter that really makes that point. There's a few chapters that lead up to it to soften one up for the experience. Um, and then the rest of the book is, well, what, well, you know, what are the implications? What does this mean about other, the other stars, galaxies, our solar system, and most importantly, light itself? Yeah, because then all stars must be conscious. And what about planets? Planets, too. I mean, one of the things that this idea leads to, you recognize that a cloud of dust in the galaxy 
is being self-organized, is self-organizing with the agency of electromagnetic fields. Electromagnetic fields, electromagnetic energy force permeates everything in the universe. And through the agency of that, or whether it's on its own, this cloud of dust is self-assembling into a star. Now, our star has seven distinct layers to it, each of them performing distinctly different functions. Other stars may have three layers or 23 layers. I don't know. We don't know. Um, but our star does. So this is happening with dust, clouds of hydrogen gas and a bit of helium. Um, once you take that on board, it, it makes you look at everything differently, whether it's mountain ranges, beaches, trees, or galaxy. And you, you, I discovered through studying up on the physics that the electromagnetic force is everywhere. That's what you get in the empty space of an atom that's 99.999% empty space. You have the electromagnetic force in there. Um, you also have it in the deepest depths of deep space. If all you can see is a pinprick of light, that is permeating every bit of that empty space. And that's an electromagnetic force. It's uh, <laughs> sort of giving the, some of the conclusions of the book, some of which came to me really harder after I wrote the book. Um, and that is... Uh, you know, every time you hear about religion, you you're connected with light. People like candles. the The main product of the sun is light. That light is absorbed into plants, and stored as energy. When we eat those plants, that energy, which is we're recycling sunlight, is the energy of life. That's what gives us, that's what I'm using now when I'm speaking to you, when I'm thinking, when I'm alive, that, and that's what our whole body is designed to support, the recycling of sunlight. So, as I'm saying, once you recognize that suns and stars are an, are an intelligent life form, everything else takes on a really interesting character, as I've just been saying. People who have near-death experiences, they often report they're going into the light as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, angels are beings of light. You know, you don't... Light itself doesn't need a place to be. It doesn't experience time. The light that comes from the sun to earth we might age eight and a half minutes while it's completing that process, but the light arrives at the moment it left. Because when you travel at the speed of light, there is no time. If you go faster than light, you go backwards in time, and you know, various science fiction books use that, the interstellar movie used that. But as you approach the speed of light, time slows down. At the speed of light, there is no time. So everything happens in the moment, uh, when you absorb, when you're looking at stars, the light coming from those stars might have traveled trillions of miles across space to get to your eyeball, but as far as it's concerned, it arrives the same moment it left. It's got just as much energy as it had when it left that star. So that's um, light. It's very hard stuff for us to comprehend, which is why... I think it was Richard Feynman said, anybody who says they understand quantum mechanics doesn't understand quantum mechanics because the more you look into the nature of light, the more inexplicable it is. In ancient times, people worshipped the sun, and when did it stop? Well, it never stopped in India. Hindus still recognize the sun as a living entity. In Japan, Shintos still do. Uh, in our culture, it began to stop when Christianity became the official, Rome, official religion of the Roman Empire in the 4th century. And once the sort of um, avid or rabid Christians had the might of the Roman Empire behind them, they went on a purge 
of all things pagan. Um, some of the listeners might remember Pol Pot in Cambodia who killed all the uh, learned people. If you wore glasses or were a dentist or a teacher, you, you were killed. Um, and the Christians did a similar thing. If you weren't Christian, all the centers of learning... Um, universities, libraries, schools, teachers who did not subscribe to the Christian ethic, Christian ethic were, were killed. So all the knowledge of those cultures of irrigation systems, of astronomy, of architecture, of how to build pyramids was all destroyed when books were sought out and teachers and, and, and that was what prompted the Dark Ages. So when the Romans reached Britain and conquered the Celts, that's when Christianity came here and no more sun worship. When the Spaniards and Portuguese and English went to Central and North and South America, that's when sun worship was crushed then. It's, it's, the, you know, it's the most widespread deity, you know, it's the most worshiped deity on the planet when you look at it historically. Um, but it's been very effectively squelched outside of uh, Hindu, the Hindu religion, and the Japanese throughout the world. So it's a, it was a moving process, and it's still happening. But even in the, the Christian religion, you can still see the sun behind the Virgin Mary and Jesus behind their heads in paintings. Oh yeah, they they and, and December twenty fifth was traditionally the birthday of the sun. That's when days start to get longer again. Um, it's always been there, and it it as the religion that was supplanted, the symbology of of it was kept. And it's you often, almost almost always have the sun coming out and rays of light coming out in spiritual pictures and paintings. But you never, the actual acknowledgement of the sun itself as divine is never spoken, never made. Would you say that the sun is the archetype of, of a father or a mother? Because traditionally in spiritualism, sun is father and moon is mother. But not that they are those genders, but archetypally. Yeah, I don't know. I've given that thought and... One part of me thinks, well, stars, what do you mean male or female? That's kind of a ridiculous concept. Um, but yin and yang, certainly, you know, the sun more exhibits the yang principle than the yin principle, which the moon exhibits. But then when you go to Japan, the Shinto religion, which recognizes a, a, a Hiramatsu is the goddess of the sun there. But all of, of her temples are facing towards where Sirius uh, appears in the sky. This isn't something I'm intimately connected with, but I, and I discovered, well, as I was doing the research in the book, I discovered all stars, almost all stars have a partner. You have the occasional bachelor or um, you know, single star out there, but most of them have a partner. And the most likely partner for Sun is Sirius. And that's tied in with some mystical traditions on there. So perhaps Sirius was the fem is the female and, and our Sun is and Sun is the male and, and maybe as those two stars interact, you get rises of matriarchal and patriarchal societies on this planet. It's not something I've researched. I don't think there has been research on it, but it's, it's an idea and I threw out there in response to your question. So what everyday implications could it have to, to realize that the sun is conscious for normal people? Well, it's, it's connecting. It's like when, it, when an orphan finds out that uh, he or she has parents, and then connects with those parents, how does that affect their life? I don't know explicitly. I haven't you know, been, been party to that experience. But for me, knowing why I feel better on a sunny day and doing, I do sun gazing at, whenever I can in England, and 
that's a, a powerful, empowering experience because you're actually there's there's light going both ways out of us and from the sun and meeting. Um, it's an extraordinary enhancement to one's life to to recognize that this beautiful bowl of energetic being that crosses our skies every day is is a, is a living entity who shines the light of life upon us. It's, I mean, I know, I know many people who have read my book and just thank me because their lives have been enriched by understanding much more about our place in the cosmos and by recognizing that you know, God isn't so embedded in a mundane human way in our lives as to give a damn which way we pray or how we pray or how we cut our hair or what food we eat. I mean, for, for God's sakes, we can figure that stuff out ourselves. Um, and the ultimate divinity light, it's... It's more concerned with how galaxies get on with each other than when he, with how we do. So when a bus full of children plunges off a ravine and over the edge of a cliff, it's not, hey, God, why didn't you stop that? That's a really daft attitude towards God. But that said, you know, we're surrounded, immersed in, in those electric magnetic vibrations of divinity so you know we can tap into that we can get inspiration and guidance but it's it's a very different attitude from that which the churches the, the three abrahamic churches profess and i can see why people reject all of that if that's all they can think about religion and say no there is no god i'm an atheist the scientists are right everything is absolutely accidental if you don't think that you're nuts well there's there's a huge in-between space between the creationists who think God planted up, you know, designed every butterfly, and these scientists who say, no, it's all accidental, we'll explain how it happened, and they, they can't even get close, they can't even you know, really figure out photosynthesis, which happens in every single cell of every green plant on the planet, is still beyond our ability to do so. So this provides a nice middle ground that makes a lot more sense than the two options that were usually proffered. So do you view the sun as some sort of god, or do you view light as god? Well, the sun is our representative of the light force. That's where we get our light from by daytime, and the energy of light that powers the earth and everything upon it comes from the sun. So that's, it's our, our local station, uh, is how I view the sun. So yes, it's divine, but it is the light and energy of the sun that, that is, that, that's how that divinity is manifested. And we can also parlay, relate, to some of the other stars out there, and there's this particular connection with Sirius through history. Um, but yeah, the sun is our, you know, the, the best candidate we have for God. But when you go back to the Zoroastrians, they also worship, they worship the sun, but they also worship light itself and fire. And their god of light was one of its main name was Ahura Mazda. It's not a name, it's a description. It means light wisdom. And they worship fire and they kept fires going. They keep fires going. They're still around for thousands of years because that is another manifestation that you can look into the, the, of the divine force. So when you're communing with a fire, you're getting, again, it's, it's, if you're burning wood, that's the energy of light which has been stored in the wood, which you're recycling. And that's a divinity. And every other church in the world or religious practice has candles. And when you want to communicate with that other world, the world of the electromagnetic force of energy of spirit, you use a candle. Because that's the, the halfway point between matter and pure energy. The flame of the candle is that 
transition taking place. So that's why they, fire, light has that holiness, even though they don't explain it, that's what's going on. And that's, again, that's something I discovered in the course of writing my book. It was just this constant, oh, yeah, 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 that's why this, that's why that. It was a, it was a, a joy to write it. My, my other book, The State is Out of Date, 80% of it in, was in my head when I started, and the other 20% manifested in the course of it. With the Son of God, it was the opposite proportions. Yeah, when I recently moved to a house after living in apartments all my life, my my number one demand was that it had a uh, fireplace. There you go, there you go. I've got a fireplace in my house too. It's magic, isn't it? And why is it that you, even if you have no medita- meditation skills, when you look into a fire, you, you kind of enter this kind of state? I know. Um, well, that's because you are communicating with the same light that is keeping you alive. I mean, you're alive because of the light of the sun being recycled through you. So you're staring into a fire and you're seeing that same light came in from the same source being recycled as a flame. It's why sunsets, sunrises are so beautiful because that's, it's not so bright then And you can look directly at that which you are looking at it with. It's like the the light meeting up with itself. Um, and it's is there something there? That's why fire is magic. When I first got my first Super 8 film camera back in the 70s, you were expensive the fi- film was, not like with videos today. And half the footage I took was of a of my fireplace. I thought, oh, I'll never see any fire this beautiful again. <laughs> But it's like that. It's wonderful stuff. So, can you talk a bit about uh, you know? There's a destructive side to the sun as well. Like you know, in the desert, it can be very powerful, and even fires, you know, can burn things down. Yeah. Well, that's that's the nature of fire. It, it can burn things down um, in a desert. It gets hot. Not lots of people live in the desert, um, but they don't get depressed by the sun. You get dried out. You get overheated. Maybe you get thirsty. You keep out of it. You keep in the shade, but you, it's not. It's not depressing, um, and that's a sort of different quality of it. And you know, most most parts of the world, well, even where, even, even in the desert, it's the sun that grows things. Where, you know, when you have an oasis, you need the sun and the water for anything to grow on it. Uh, people have this, 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 in Christian times, you couldn't think anything positive about the sun or commune with it. In Islam today, that's why they pray before sunrise and after sunset, so you can never be lured into this hardwired, intuitive connection with the sun. And today, we're not influenced by the church on solar thinking, but somehow we still get this be frightened of the sun, it's going to kill you. There's this huge sort of fear of the sun, cover yourself in sunblock, wear strong sunglasses when you're out in it so it doesn't damage you. So we're still being taught this fear of the sun, and part of me thinks, okay, it's just the sunblock industry and the sunglass industry, and that may be it. But I also sometimes think there's something more sinister behind it. It's still the forces of darkness trying to keep us from recognizing the light. And and there's umpteen scientific studies have found that sunlight, just the wonder of it, okay, it's got a, a vitamin D component, but the actual wonder of sunlight cures so many diseases, so many human conditions, and the risk of skin cancer is very small by comparison. And, but if you've got red hair and white skin, if, if, you, you, know, if you haven't got sun-suitable sun skin, you know it, you take it easy in it, you don't go out in it for long periods of time. But if you, if you use your head instead of just listening to the people in white coats, there's so much to be gained from the sun when you get over the fear they try to instill in us. I once read about a guy who never 
really had to sleep because he always meditated at sunrise, sunset, and noon. Well, I believe you once read about him. I, um, I've read about people who have met somebody as well who claims not to have eaten for 15 years or more because they do sun gazing and get all their nutrition from, from the sun. I don't know what to think about that, honestly, um, whether to believe it or not. And if I did believe it, I don't know what, if anything, I'd make of it. Uh, I don't sleep a lot. I went you know, 20, 30 years of my life sleeping three or four hours a night and being fully energized, working all day long. Um, but I didn't do I didn't do sun gazing then. <laughs> I just worked hard and and was sort of inspired with what I was doing. So yeah, I don't know um, what to make of that. I'm happy sleeping and I like eating. I mean, if, if there was ever a big crunch and there was no food to be had, then sure, sun gazing for food would be a handy thing to know how to do. But How, how do you sun gaze? Um, I stare into the sun with open eyes. And if, if in any way my eyes are going to squint, I don't do it. Because if I'm squinting, it means my eyes can't take it. Now, the easy, easiest time to do that is shortly after sunrise and shortly before sunset but we're living in the northern territories so the sunrise is quite low in the sky during early spring and late autumn so then i mean in in the late autumn i can be sun gazing sometimes at three in the afternoon because the sun's rising riding low on the horizon if i was living in spain that would be nearly sunset point um So that's a good time. So that's whenever I can do it without squinting, that's when I sun gaze. And sometimes I will do it, you know, in the middle of the day, there'll be thin cloud cover that you can sun gaze through. Sometimes I'll get it reflected off of windows in the, in a street opposite me. And I can sun gaze because I'm not, you know, in the middle of the day because that's getting diluted by the reflection. So yeah, um, In England, you know, you, you take the opportunity when the sun comes out to do some sun gazing. Ever since I was born, I've been programmed that you should not look into the sun. So I never really done that. Yeah, that's um, not, it's a bit overstated. And I've, I've read quite a few cases of people who ignored that um, not in a clever way. As far, you know, because as I say, if, I, if I'm going to need to squint, I don't do it. But... Uh, I read of people who've been blinded for a day or two at the worst, and then their sight has come back. Perhaps you can do permanent damage. I don't advise anybody to push themselves to stare at the sun, but it is something that you become and your and your eyes become practiced at. I know the British artist J.W. Turner, he's known as the painter of light, but he does wonderful lightscapes and sun pictures of the sun and he used to sun gaze for like half an hour or an hour at a time they didn't have the term sun gazing then he'd just stare into the sun and one of his friends said how can you do this you know this is i can't get i can't begin to look at it and he said listen for for me staring into the sun is like for you staring into a candle so you know nothing is absolute we're all different and we all have skills that we're not really aware of until we practice them. Are you working on any other books? No, I'm not. I write things here and there because I've got, you know, lots of things stimulate me to write. I have a blog, which is uh, gregorysamsblog.com. And, uh, yeah, but I haven't got another book. These are two, you know, the idea, getting across the concept of the, the consciousness of the sun and stars for me is as important as getting across the concept that what we eat affects our health. And I spent years doing that. I had bookshops, a couple of uh, natural food, organic food shops, two magazines, a restaurant, a couple of cafes. I mean, these came and went. Some of these things lasted two years. Some of them are still going. And 
that was lots of work, lots of businesses, lots of stuff to get that across. The, the eye, getting across the nature of the sun doesn't require all of that, but I'm still working at it, and I constantly see videos coming up on YouTube, other things people are writing now about the spirituality of the sun, the magic of rays of light, but the mysteries of pyramids and how they were built to connect with the sun and stars. But still not many people actually come right out and say stars are celestial beings. And that's a big break. That's it's, it's been so kind of hidden from our culture, and yet it's so obvious. And it's like this great mystery of cosmology. One of the big ones is how do galaxies hold together? At the rate galaxies are spinning, the stars should be flying out of them into space, and yet they hold together. And this is it's so inexplicable. And they say, well, there's got to be something else, something physical holding them together that we can understand. And they invent this dark matter nonsense. So, you know, 80% of all the matter in the universe now is stuff we cannot detect. Well, listen, matter is matter. So scientists can detect, you know, one billionth part pollutants in the air, all this sort of stuff. And they just assume that this is what is holding a galaxy together. There's got to be matter there, gravitational pull to hold it together. Yet once you accept that s stars are beings, they're energetic entities, they've got electromagnetic fields which hook up almost certainly with other stars. We've discovered galaxies connected by electromagnetic fields our Earth and the Sun are connected by electromagnetic fields, conduits between them. Um, and when you recognize this as a community of living stars, then you, then you can recognize that they hold together because they're not dead, dumb balls of gas, because they're a community. By what means they hold together, we, we have yet to discover. But it is not a sort of accidental behavior and that's it's it embarrasses cosmologists this idea that there's dark matter that we cannot detect and they're, they're still spending billions on these esoteric new experiments redesigning CERN to try and find and detect this elusive stuff it's not there and you don't need it in a living universe do you think before the big bang that it was dark or light um Light itself is, covers a huge spectrum in the electromagnetic spectrum. And what we see, as you know, is visible light is just a tiny bit of that light that our eyes can detect. But picking up on what I was saying earlier, light, it also does not have form or body. It's invisible. It's just a vibration. Sound needs to vibrate in something. So if you're talking out in space, you don't hear anything because there's no air to vibrate and carry the sound. With light, it doesn't need a place to be. That's a hard one to get our head around. But it doesn't need to be any place. And that probably comes into the light from a distant star being instantly with us in its concept of existence. And so, yes, before the Big Bang, if there was a Big Bang, that's just rewinding things back as they've been expanding to a point yeah, up nearly 14 billion years ago. But So if there was, it was a Big Bang, the only thing that could have existed before then have existed is light, Electromag the electromagnetic force because it doesn't have to be any place. It also exists outside of time. So it wasn't before the Big Bang, it was just there and always there. So, uh, I mean, there is, no, there is actually no, I was saying earlier, because light travels at the speed of light, it doesn't know time. 
Well, for light, there is no speed of light. Light is miles or kilometers per hour. Well, that doesn't apply to light. It doesn't travel so many kilometers per hour itself. It's always there. So, yeah, that's what could have existed. And in, my, in, my, in the book, Son of God, I say, you know, it was probably the big whoosh as energy condensed into matter, if there was a transition point like that. I mean, we, we, our biggest bang is when we convert matter into energy in a nuclear explosion. Matter is being turned into energy. Bang! Explosion! All hell breaks loose. When energy is being condensed into matter, maybe it's a whole different experience, and maybe it's just a, a nice little whoosh, and here we are. Has science ever managed to figure out what light is made of? Like, you know, water is H2O. Have they ever managed to do, to do that? No. That's why anybody who uh, claims to understand quantum physics doesn't know what they're talking about. And I, 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 there's, a, there's a talk that I give which is called Seeing the Light Through Ancient Eyes. And this taps into the Zoroastrian religion which recognized Ahura Mazda light as the ultimate divinity. They had no symbol for Ahura Mazda, no image to worship, but they had a hundred other names for light. And some of those names translated from Persian are beyond understanding, without beginning, without end the source of everything. Um, I'm just trying to pull these out from memory. But, but you know, pure energy. I mean, all these terms that actually fit comfortably with how quantum mechanics describes light. Uh, and beyond understanding is, is the fundamental one of that. It's something that we will never understand. Because it is the the ultimate divinity, the 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 the, it, the force that pervades everything, but we can we can see some of what it does. But trying to understand it is, it's comforting to know there's something that we will never understand. But the more they understand the mechanics of light, uh, I mean, lasers were discovered decades ago, um, but now we're sort of communicating through light cables, you know, you can, you, cause you can compress light indefinitely. They're getting, uh, in theory, you could have all the internet traffic of the world could travel through one fiber optic cable. There's just the capacity to carry information is so great. So yeah, no scientists will never break it down into components to answer your question. I also think that People never realize when they're looking at a beautiful moon, full moon or, or whatever, that it is the sun they're looking at, really, because it's the light reflecting. Well, you could say the same thing when you're looking at a tree. Uh, it's the light reflecting. If, if it's as simple as light reflect, reflecting, that's something I sometimes question. That's the theory, that the light bounces off the sun and... We're off of a tree, and the tree absorbs everything but the green, or the leaves absorb everything but the green color of the light, and that's what's bounced back to us. Um, there's a different way of looking at it, which is that the light is informing us of the world around us. And not this sort of just mechanical bouncing stuff going on so i mean when you look into dark space it's dark it's black even though it's flooded with sunlight but when there's something for the sunlight to communicate like the moon or the planets okay it tells us there's a moon up there there's a there's a jupiter up there um so that's uh there's some interesting kind of work that's been done on vision and what we actually see and the difficulty that people who are born blind have in seeing once their eyes have developed, which is a, a whole different subject. But, uh, yeah, people, everything you're looking at, you're seeing the light, you know, whether it's a light bulb telling you about it or the sun.
If people want to read your book or check out your other writings or, or talks, where, where is the easiest way to do, do that? Well, the book is titled, as I've said, Son of God, S-U-N of God. Uh, if you Google that, that will find, that will get you. It's available through Amazon or any online bookseller or bookshops, uh, digitally or or in print. And the other book, The State is Out of Date, We Can Do It Better, really helps you be less confused about the state the world is in and what's going on. It's it's a nice overview of what's underlyingly fundamentally wrong about I say politics, the system, the, the governing system we have, and it doesn't it doesn't really matter how we choose who's running the show or what their policies are, because when the show is directed by one basic tool, which is coercion, do this or we will damage you in somehow. That whether that's telling you to be vegetarian or to fill in your census form or drive a certain speed, it's not the way to achieve positive social results and social change. So that's the state is out of date. We can do it better. My website is gregorysams.com. That's S-A-M-S. And that has links to my books, to quite a few other things I've written, videos, interviews I've done. Um, so all that stuff is on the gregorysams.com website. I think that covers most of it. Cool. I'll also link to your website in, in the program notes. Okay, good, good. And, but uh, thank you a lot for talking to me. It was very interesting. Okay. It's been a pleasure. I hope people enjoy it. <laughs> Go to gregorysams.com if you want to find out more about his work. Now we are going to listen to a song called Light from the album Light Tide by artist Rev. Alan Morgan. To hear more of this artist, go to solarministry.co.uk and all the links I've mentioned will be in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com. And before you continue with your day or night, please head over to Twitter and follow Born Alchemist or like the page Natural Born Alchemist on Facebook. That way you will always be updated. Freedom is in the mind. Light of love, hope and trust Light of heaven, light within Light of sun, stars and moon Light of all, light of one shines brightly the dark will always flee above the mist is crystal clarity a heart that's true lets the light shine on through for all to witness and receive Light of love, hope and trust Light of heaven, light within Light of sun, stars and moon Light of all, light of one Where the gloom remains, may the comfort joy can bring Shine the sunlight in the heart There love shall reign, where time has no domain To heal with forgiveness to rise Light of love, 
and trust Light of heaven, light within Light of sun, stars and moon Light of all, light of one The black of space shine the brightest spangled rays in matter void and spirit in my soul in the pit of doubt with light all hope is found to lift to joy our hearts of light and peace. Light of love, hope and trust Light of heaven, light within Light of sun, stars and moon Light of all, light of one Light of all, light of one 